Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on the phone from the band Tesla, it is bassist Brian Wheat. He has a new book out called Son of a Milkman, My Crazy Life with Tesla. And uh, let me bring in somebody who knew Tesla, I guess, way back when, right? It is the one and only uh, Alan Niven. Uh, bonjour. Oh, sorry. Sir Alan Niven. Pardon. Pardon. I ask for pardon. <laughs> How are you? Pardon granted. I am very well. How are you today? Good. So, so you knew you knew the Tesla boys back in the day when they were city kid, and and you've always felt that mm, they've got something. These these boys are good, right? Well, the story sometimes gets clearly repeated, but uh, in point of fact, um, Bruce Lundvall, when he was starting up uh, EMI New York, EMI Manhattan, had offered me an A&R job, which I decided I didn't want to take at that time. But Bruce called me up and asked me if I'd do him a favor and go and check out a band playing at the country club in Reseda in California and um, report back to him because he'd been asked to look at this band. And uh, I told Bruce, Bruce, I don't even have to go. I can tell you about this band right here and now. And he said, well, no, I promised that I'd send somebody along to take a look. So if you don't mind, go and have a look for me. So I went and looked and the band was as it was. And I was very unenthused about the idea of recommending them to Bruce. But the opening band was really interesting because they had a singer who had one of those voices that the minute you heard it, you went, oh, hello, give him the phone book. He's going to be convincing. And they were a band called City Kid. So I went back to Bruce and told him that the band he wanted me to look at was a pass. And I suggested that he take a really good look at the opening band. And he said, no, he said, I just wanted to check on that one. I'm not interested in the opening band, which I thought, well, ask my opinion on 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 one, but don't care for my opinion on the other. So I, I said to Bruce, listen, if you don't mind, I'm going to pass their name on to someone else. And I did more than that. I put them on a bill opening for Great White when Great White were going through Sacramento. And uh, at that time, the band gave uh, Jack a, a tape to bring back to LA for me. And um, I duly sent, I actually, I, I sent Don Dawkin and Jack up to Zootout's office at Geffen with the tape with the suggestion that he take a really good look at them. And the next thing I know is they're signed to Geffen and Cliff and Peter were managing them. So yeah, and and Cliff and Peter my... gave them their name. They 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 came to them and said, "You're going to be Tesla." Yeah, and yeah, that was that that was Cliff's idea. And the band at the time were a little bit like, "What's a, in fact?" One of the chapters in the book is called "What the fuck's a Tesla?" <laughs> that, that, that's one, <laughs> that's one of the chapters in the book. He's like, "What the fuck's a Tesla?" Uh, yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll ask you this. Uh, also, in the book, in his milk, Son of a Milkman book, he, there, there's, there seems to be a little bit of anger towards 
uh, Tom Zuta. Now, that's my interpretation. Uh, Brian can, can tell you whether he's angry or not, but it seemed as though, because he writes in the book, everything was blah, 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 Tom Zutat, and then Appetite for Destruction hit, and boom, he was gone, never saw him again, and I, I got a sense of, for me, as I read it, that he was frustrated and kind of angry, like, hey, where, where the where the is our guy? Where, um, What's the story? Did, did, did Tom just sort of abandon them? Well, I can't speak for that because I'm not a member of Tesla and I wasn't their management, but I'm sure Cliff and Peter got what needed to be done, done. And I just want to remind you of something. Tommy Zutow was a young lad back in that time. He was not a, a fully developed, mature individual. And for him to be susceptible to what might be termed great success is not incomprehensible. And I think if you sat young Tommy Zutow or old Tommy Zutow down now, he would say, I was very young and at times I was out of my depths. And it wouldn't surprise me if there was a period of time when he was very pleased to be the young genius Tom Zutout who had signed Motley Crue and Don Dawkins and Tesla and, and Guns N' Roses. Um, of course, I smile because, you know, how did he get Motley Crue, who introduced him to Don Dawkins uh, and got him <laughs> taped for Tesla? But, you know. Um, so what you're saying is that you, you created Tom Zutat. No, I didn't create Tom <laughs> Zutat. If I had, I'd, I, I wouldn't have created such a Frankenstein. Um, no, just joking there. Um, <laughs> well, you know, Tommy and I were friends. Tommy yeah. and I were friends. And famously, when we first met, I invited him for dinner and I cooked him chicken a la LSD. And he stayed, he came on the Friday night for dinner and managed to get back to Hollywood by midday Monday. And in that period of time, I wanted to find out who he was and if it was someone I could connect with. And we made plans together. We were going to eventually run a label together was the plan. Well, good plan. Now, uh, we are recording this part of the show on December 11th. And 31 years ago, December 11th, 1989, you were over at Wembley Arena with Great White opening for Alice Cooper, also on the bill, Brittany Fox, which is interesting because we're going to have our next episode with Doro and her drummer, uh, Johnny, used to be in Brittany Fox, or still is if the, whenever they tour. But uh, that show became the Great White album, Live in London, which I think is still only been released in, in Japan. Great sounding album. Uh, the band sounds awesome. Um, just, what do you remember from that night? Uh, and I know by the time folks hear this, we'll, we'll be past December 11th, but what do you remember from 31 years ago at Wembley Arena? Well, what I remember clearly is that the BBC were going to record the headliner. And the BBC would use that for broadcast, but also they had their own label. And they had a stipulation that if you wanted the BBC, the great British Broadcasting Corporation, to record your band, then we are going to put the recording out on our label no matter what. And of course, labels would genuflect and bend the knee because they wanted their bands to be played by the BBC, which was the main 
radio outlet for the nation. And the interesting thing was that somebody came to find me backstage and said, would you talk to the BBC? And I said, sure, what's going on? And it turned out that Alice had got cold feet and was going to pull out of doing, uh, letting them record that night. And the BBC trucks were there. They were all mic'd up on stage. They had uh, done sound checks. They were ready to roll. So since they were in situ, they came to me and said, well, can we record you guys? And I said, I'd be delighted. That would be wonderful for you to record us. Um, I have one stipulation. I own the masters. They go back to capital. Um, they don't go out on the BBC um, label. I know some huffing and puffing and we don't do this to the BBC. And uh, apparently they went and made a phone call and they came back and they said, fine, you can own the masters. We can use the recordings for live broadcast. And I said, that's perfect. I'm up for that. And the entertaining thing was, is I never said a word to the band because I, I had that moment of, do I tell them or don't I tell them? And I went, you know what? Don't let them know. So there's no red light fever. There's no consciousness of being recorded. There's no tightening of the muscles when you go on stage going, oh, fuck, we've got to win this audience over in London. And we're being recorded at the same time. So I didn't tell them. And they played a great set that night. It's got a great energy. The recording is great. And it's a terrific live record. And I'll just, uh, before we move on to Brian Wheat, uh, A, did that ever go out over the BBC? Or did it really just become this CD that was released in Japan? No, the BBC uh, used it for broadcast. And, and uh, I, I used the Masters for a Japan release mm -hmm. because when you were spending all summer in, in America and the winter and in, in the UK and squeezing in Japan when you could. By the time you got to Japan, you were late in the, in the record cycle, the album cycle. So I always look to have something to Satiate. reignite a little bit of in, interest in the band with an, a different release. So there are a lot of little live discs and EPs that, yeah. about that were just for fun. Yeah, you had the blues EP. And then the last question is, uh, who, who handled the mix on that? Was that something that the band and you and, and management did or, or whatever, the capital? Or did the BBC basically just hand you a finished product with their guy? I cannot remember if Mike and I mixed that or not. I think we might have. Um, but it's also possible that we were just given the two tracks. That could, that could be the case, too. I'd, I'd, I'd have to go back and ask Michael to remember. It's been a while. Yeah, and uh, just before I get over to uh, Brian Wheat, uh, there is a new UFO Strangers in the Night 8-CD deluxe edition of box set of The Strangers in the Night. It has got every show from that week. So you've got Chicago on October 13th, 1978. You've got Wisconsin on the 14th, Youngstown on the 15th, Cleveland, Columbus, Kentucky... And I just got to say, it is, it's, it's, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's Ron Nevison who got his hands on, on these tapes to remaster and remix. It is absolutely fabulous because it's a slice of life experience. You get, you get a week of a touring band on the road and you can see them, you know, adding songs and cutting songs as, as the week goes by because they're probably getting tired or the voice or the whatever. 
and you hear the guitar playing where rock bottom, you, you've got basically eight different versions of rock bottom because the, the guitar solo is, I guess Schenker just imp improvises, you know, it's just, it's, 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 there's a musical motif, but the little bits here and there are, are, are different. Anyway, anyway, there, it's just fascinating because you hear these shows back to back to back to back and there's an excitement, but there's also an exhaustion and, and you can, it's just fun to see Wow, what 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 must it have been like to be a band or UFO on the road for a week, uh, six shows out of seven nights? Uh, it's just a fascinating box set. I I, I love it, and sonically it's, it's superb. So uh, I I think the kudos go to Ron Nevison. Let me look at it here. I don't see a. I think the I think we we have to tip a hat to Ron. But whoever, if it's not Ron, whoever did it. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And on that, folks, here is the one, the only, Brian Wheat. We are speaking with uh, Tesla baseman uh, Brian Wheat. The new book is Son of a Milkman, uh, My Crazy Life with uh, Tesla. And as we say here in Montreal, Le Bonjour, Brian, how are you? I'm good. How are you, man? Good, good. So you, you've got this book out, and, and I got to tell you, it's a fascinating read because there's a lot of stuff in there that, as a as a fan, I didn't know. But there's also there's the there, there was the tone of the book that 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 sort of shocked me a little bit. So I want to get into that. Uh, in fact, okay. first first I want to ask you, what compelled you to write the book the way you wrote it? Because there, you know, you're talking about uh, your mom getting the shit kicked out of her, get get kicked out of her, which is one of the words that was in there. It was down and dirty. I mean, in terms of, of the language, in terms of of the tone, it's like I'm I'm going I'm bearing my soul. Um, why did you choose to bear your soul so much? Well, why not? Okay. I mean, you know, I mean, if you're gonna do it, if you're gonna put out a book, right? And you're gonna tell your story. Well, tell the story. You know, whether it's pleasant or not. You know, be honest. That's I think my whole thing was be honest about about what you know where you came from, who you are, and where you are today. Well, true, uh, but I mean, I have to say, as a fan, I was a little shocked at some of the content. I was like, oh my god! So, so talk to me about that then, because I did sense reading the book that there was a lot of anger going on through it. Is that something that has? been part of your life or has invaded your life where there's been this sort of unresolved anger? Have you been able to resolve it? Yeah, I'm fine. I mean, I'm not going to go out and freak out tomorrow or anything. Um, you know, I, I, it's funny you say anger because I, I didn't really view it as anger. I was just viewed it as telling the story the way it went down. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, maybe maybe it's anger. Maybe it was anger issues, and maybe those are the things that led to the anxiety and depression issues that I that I you know I've suffered with my whole life. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm you know that's probably something for a psychoanalyst to discover. But I, I'm sure that you know I talk about Dr. Hirschkopf in the book, and when I was in therapy with him, so you know maybe you know maybe he he thought they were anger issues as well. But I I just you know, it was getting to a point where I'm, I turned 58 this year. Right. And if I was going to do a memoir, it was like now seeing the time to do it, you know, in terms of, you know, where we are in our career and, 
you know, where I am as a human being and, and, and everything. So, you know, I started about five years ago and I just started, you know, telling the story kind of in a chronological order, you know, and, and I, I do bear it all. I mean, you know, I'm not, you know, I mean, from the title, you know, I was the milkman's son. I'm the illegitimate son of the milkman, you know? So that, that was a joke. And, you know, I wear it as a badge of honor, you know, some people it would, it would fuck with. And, you know, deep down probably did fuck with me, you know, when I was younger, you know, everything fucks with you when you're younger, you don't realize it, but it does. So I was just kind of letting it uh, go, you know, like throwing it out into the wind and let it, let it be, you know, let it, here it is. This is, this is what, what happened. And I, you know, I'm okay. That's, that's, that's the main thing is that through it all, it's like, look, I'm okay. You know, I survived. I persevered. You know, I'm okay. The band's okay. Everyone's okay. Yeah, you you, you did persevere. And, but I, I did get a sense, and especially in the opening chapters, that being the son of a milkman was a bit of a frustration and, and a almost like a, a black sheep kind of thing. Like, eh, I'm a little bit different than everybody else because you, you talk about not talking to well, your... right. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I am, but I'm not because, you know, Frank Hannon comes from the same background, except his dad wasn't the milkman. And I think that's why we, me and him, you know, related and, and still do to so many ways. We, you know, we kind of come up from, you know, this kind of same similar background. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of, you know, look, I say in the book in 1962, it wasn't very cool to have an illegitimate kid, you know, society looked down upon it. And, uh, if anything I'm angry about is the way that my mom got treated for having me, you know, that, that, that probably was, you know, there's the anger issue is, 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 you know, I didn't like the way that, you know, her family or society looked down upon her, you know, because it wasn't cool. You know, today it would be no, it'd be no sweat, you know, fuck have 10 kids. Today is the norm. Yeah. So let me ask you just real quick about that, because you do talk about the family members, uh, you, you know, siblings, and you talk about, do any of them look at this book or look at it coming out saying, hey, you know, tell your story, but why include us in this? Is there any grief on that sense? Or, or did you consult with them and say, listen? Well, I, I'm I, sure I'll hear it from them, you know, at some point and another. But if I don't tell if I don't put them in the story, then I'm not telling my story because they're part of my story. You know, I mean, otherwise it's, you know, what do I talk about? You know, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I imagine, you know, I, I would probably get some shit from, from, from them. You know, to me, it was just, you know, that's a funny question, but it's a good question. To be honest with you, I'm I'm sure I'll get some shit from some people about it. And, you know, hey, they can write their book and say what they want about me. Yeah. It's just it's just how I recall my life. It's it's a story of my life and the things that affected my life. Well, well I got to tell you, that's what I like. It's the honesty, because even when you talk about Peter and Cliff, the uh, the management team, you're, you're uh -huh. like a, you're like, well, 
Cliff's not the kind of guy you can call up and tell him that your dog died. That's a direct quote from the book, which which I thought was interesting because, you know, when... But when it, well, yeah. But management... He, don't, he, don't care. he wouldn't care. He would say, why, Brian, why are you telling me this? What's this have to do with Tesla? And, you know, that's the kind of guy Cliff was. That's okay. I love Cliff. I wouldn't, you know, he was a genius. But, you know, what I was illustrating was that, you know, there was... We had a yin and yang management. You know, Peter Bench, you call up and you tell your dog died, and he'd say, man, that's a real drag, and, you know, maybe you should get another dog to try to get over it, Brian, you know, because I had that kind of relationship with Peter Bench, where Cliff Bernstein would be, just send me the songs that, you know, you're writing, and, you know, I wanted to show what I was dealing with, you know, where maybe people, I guess, you know, what I would want people to take out of that is maybe where people think your manager is your best friend. They're not. They're your managers. They manage your business. You know, and that not everything has a silver lining to it in life. You know what I mean? It's not all it's peace, not all... love, and granola. You no. know, and so maybe that's maybe that's what I was saying in the in, in, in regards to Cliff was, you know, look, Cliff was a genius and Cliff was great and tesla couldn't have done what tesla did without cliff but he wasn't the kind of guy you'd call for moral support or you know you'd call if you know you had a personal issue you would you know he wasn't that guy or peter was more that way which is why in the book i think i kind of allude to that i was closer to peter than i was cliff which is which is fair now that chapter that I, I pulled that quote out is called What the Fuck's a Tesla? And when I went through the book, I saw that title and I went, okay, yeah, you know. Um, it, it struck me that the name of the band, you know, Tesla now, everybody thinks of cars. And when you go on the internet to search up, you know, you research the band, all you get is yeah, images. Yeah, no, 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 fuck about Elon Musk back then. No, but of course, right? Nobody knew that. So so, so how did you, how did you, I mean, that, the name? Was, Nobody. Really. Yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, you know, we didn't. That's why I called it What the Fuck's a Tesla. That's so, why when Cliff was saying, you know, Cliff was saying, hey, you know, we want you to call the band Tesla, we're like, what the fuck's Tesla? That, that was a direct quote. That's what we said. What the fuck's a Tesla? And he went, well, I'll tell you what a Tesla is. And Cliff educated us on what Tesla was. And we went, Okay, we can relate to that, you know, and that's how we got our name. We would have never picked that name in a thousand years. And, and that's what I, I, I was curious about, because you never would have picked it in a thousand years. Was it hard to get behind it, even though he explained it? What was there? Is it a name that now you sort of believe in, or are you still at this point where you go, well, it's our brand, but what the fuck's a Tesla, and why, why have we been called this for 40? Like, how... Well, what's a Def Leppard? Well, that's you know a good what point. I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I mean, look, I mean, you know, we stood behind it because, look, we didn't have a name. We were called City Kid at the point, that point in time. And that didn't really go with our music, and Tesla became what it was. And, you know, I mean, to this day, I mean, Troy's probably the one in the band that's got the most uh, ties with the Tesla invention people and all that stuff. And, you know, that's great. Um, but we would have never called the band Tesla in a thousand years. There's no way we would have never done it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have happened. 
Yeah. You know, we, we didn't know, we didn't know anything about them. Yeah. It, and, and it never came up. It, it just never came up. It, it, it's interesting. And, and, you know, now, it, now it seems like second nature. Oh, Tesla. Yeah. Hey, you know, Brian Wheat from Tesla. Yeah. Except now it's like Brian Wheat from Tesla. What's he work at the car company? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, what am I, I a sales representative? <laughs> I, I have interviewed the band for for the last twenty years, and twenty years ago, when you would search up Tesla, you'd see pictures of you and and Jeff Keith and and Troy. Now, when you look it up, I have to I have to separate all the car pictures and go. Okay, can we just get back to the band? Thank you, Google. Would you mind? Um, in well, the book, right? Because I mean, again, we're taking the back seat. That's kind of always been, you know. I talk about that in the book, like. Even when we were at Geffen Records selling a million records at a whack, we were always taking the back seat, either to Aerosmith or Guns N' Roses or White Snake or the Nelsons or Nirvana. You know, that's that's kind of the, the sto- moral of the story is that, you know, we're always clawing for for a place, you know, and maybe me as an individual, I'm always clawing for a place, you know, of acceptance or or whatever it is, I, I don't know. Some psychoanalysts would have to to well, figure it out. But, all right, let, let, you know, let, I, all I could do is just tell my story and go, "Well, this is who I am, and this is what what I feel kind of made me who I am today." And these are the things I had to endure, and I still endure. And hopefully, if you have to endure this shit too, you know, know that you can get through it all and reach out to somebody. And you know, if you're feeling down, you know, reach out to a friend. You know, don't don't just you know try to deal with it on your own. All right. So let me get back to the the tone of of, of anger in there because you just mentioned Guns and Roses, and of course you talk about Tom Zutat, and he mm-hmm. left you once. You say it clearly in the book: appetite for destruction takes off, and so did Tom. Uh, and I read that, and I went, "Oh, that pissed him off," and I, I would have been pissed well, of off as well. It pissed us off. It, of course, it pissed us off. Yeah. So. But- you know, but that, that's, that's life, so, you know, that, that's, that's the life. Yeah. You know, once Appetite came out, I mean, you know, Tom was, was often Guns N' Roses land. I mean, even to this day, you know, he's got some thing out where he's doing something with Alice Cooper or something, uh, some, you know, little, I saw on the internet and, you know, he, he lists himself as Tom Zutat, the man that discovered Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue, and he never mentions Tesla. To this day so you know it's just the way it is so let me just explore that then because there has been this perception and, and it comes in through the book and you just said it now in the interview that you know we were always the the, the you know the bridesmaid in a sense right and yet you never you well you did quit for three years but you ultimately you never quit you kept going you've, you've gone on for 36 37 years what has kept mm-hmm. you and the band moving forward? And and yes, and I'll talk about that period in the '90s where you took a little break. But but regardless of that little break, you you've stuck it out. And and even though you because you know, we thoroughly enjoyed playing together. Okay. And you know we have drive. You know, me and Frank Cannon are very driven individuals. You know, and. And we have drive, and 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 that's what keeps us going. And it's our job. How about that? How about it's our job? It's how we make our living as well. We're not independently wealthy guys. You know, we're not rich rock stars. We earn our living by going out and touring and singing signs. 
and Love Song and Cowboy and Susie and all the other songs. So, so all those things come into play, and that's what keeps us going. Well, you did mention that you invested in, in real estate, but, uh, but I, I do want to ask you this. In terms of um, moving – well, in fact, uh, you know what? No, I'm going to go somewhere different here. Uh, uh, we are recording this on December 8th, 1986 or, 19, or 2020. Uh, That's right. 48 years ago today, John Lennon was killed. It it was, and I I was in Mexico at the time, and I remember going down to 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 the food place, you know, because we were in a resort, <laughs> and mm-hmm. the Mexican guy go, oh you, you're from North America, John Lennon died, and I was like, I, what? Couldn't I? Could, where were you in that when that happened? By the way, do, do I you was remember watching Monday Night Football? Wow, Howard Howard Cosell told me, yeah, told no. every, you know, told everybody. I was watching Monday Night Football. I remember vividly. But yeah, so I, I, here we are, forty years later, and I, know, I remember it vividly too. Fucked up the Beatles. Uh, I, like I said, I was in Puerto Vallarta, but no, uh, but Mechanical Resonance came out on December eighth, nineteen eighty six, thirty four years ago. Um, no shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, there you go, man, Mitch. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's. That's a that's a that's a life changing moment, which of course you 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 talk about in the book. Um, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you sort of look back on this 34 years later? Do you listen to that album and go, motherfucker, we hit it? Or do you go, oof, we should have done this on changes. Oh, we should have just put another guitar. Like, are, are, do you have that creative kind of ang- that angst where you just go, oh, it could have been I, I so much better. The only thing I don't like about that record is the way it sounds. I think, you know, me and Steve Thompson talked about it a couple of years ago, but it'd be great to remix that thing because it sounds so much like 1986 and there's all that reverb all over the drums and over Jeff's voice and stuff. And, but I think, you know, as far as the songs and stuff, the songs were great. You know, I just don't, I prefer the sound of like psychotic supper. I think that is, you know, a real that and probably into the now are really two records that really, show what the band really sounds like i i don't think mechanical resonance sounds the way we sound i mean when you hear it live it sounds better live than it does on the record so but i mean it's a great album i love it it's a don't great get album. me wrong and to be honest with you i don't really listen to our songs that much well no no artist uh, does because you it's you're, yeah, it's, I mean, you're too I close to, to it them, you know while we're making them you know, while we're making the record, I listen to it. And then for a brief period after we, we make the record, you know, after it comes back from mastering and stuff. But on the whole, I don't I don't really listen to Tesla records unless I got to go back and learn a song or something, you know. Oh, let's play this song. Wow, God, I haven't played that in 30 years. Okay, I'll go, go back and listen to it. You know, sometimes when I'm around people and they listen to it, I'll listen to it because, you know, they want to listen to it. But, uh I, I don't I don't listen to it too much, but mechanical especially is the one record I wish oh, I'd love to remix that. I you know, hear hear it sound the way it could sound, you know, today. Same song, same performances, everything, just treated differently. Well, listen, uh, next year is the thirty fifth anniversary, so there there is a an open window for, for that while uh, everybody's sitting at home with COVID to maybe just go, oh fuck it, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. Just go, let's yeah. just go remix this. Uh and and by the way, you mentioned into the now and, and I have to tell you, that is uh 
maybe after mechanical resonance, my second favorite or even my favorite. And, and one of the reasons was I had been sent an advance on that nine months before it got released. I had gotten a CD nine months in advance and I had this feeling of, oh, I got something nobody else has. And I listened to it daily, every day that I had it and it mm -hmm. wasn't released. I, and it's just such a great record and such a great comeback. So let me get over to, to chapter 10 here. You talk about the return of Tesla, why the fuck not? And you, mm -hmm. you're talking about uh, how you're in Soul Motor and Jeff is in uh, Bar 7, which, by the way, great album that he put out. And uh, at some point, you, you bump into each other and at a New Year's Eve party, and, and you're, you're sort of feeling a bit lonely, and, and, and or, or you know you're you're in your own little world, and but it's not the Tesla world. What was that moment like? Is that the the right sort of context? I mean, were you just sort of missing your buddies, and, and you well, just wanted to be? I hadn't seen it. I hadn't seen him much. You know, after we broke up, and I was having a New Year's Eve party, and and he showed up. And I ha I hadn't seen him, and I had known that he had, you know, he had had gone to jail, you know, for uh, you know whatever it was, you know. I know he, you know, he got busted for methamphetamine, and then he got put on probation, and somehow his probation got messed up. You know, I'll let him tell you that one day if he cares to share it, you know. And he wound up having to 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 go to jail, so I I, I was feeling really bad for him because you know. He's he's one of my favorite guys on the planet. I've seen him. So when he did show up that night, he looked great. He looked healthy. You know, he just looked good. Because there were a few times I saw him in between that breakup where he didn't look so good. Of course, I probably didn't look so good either because I was doing a lot of blow at the time. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, we were both feeling better and you know whatever and I, and I and i saw him it was just great to see him and i hadn't seen him in a while and then after that we started seeing each other and we'd go out and shoot pool you know he'd bring michelle his wife that he had from uh from montreal montreal <laughs> yeah and he was just dating her so he'd come, he'd come around with me him and monique and michelle would go out and shoot pool and then so me and him were fine you know me and him were great and i'd always kept in good contact with uh Frank and, and Troy, you know, obviously Tommy Skeel, that was during one of our up and down periods, and we've had many of those throughout the years. So, um, you know, it was after that that Pat Martin said, you know, hey, what do you think about, you know, playing the show? And I was like, you know, uh, you know, a year before that, I'm like, I, you know, I'm not really, I'm doing Soul Motor, and I was starting to pick up some steam with the Soul Motor thing. And, but when he said it, around this time i was like yeah sure why not you know if you can get the rest of the guys to do it i'm in but you know make sure skios in it as well you know that was the one thing i said I, you know i want to make sure it's all five of us if we're gonna because i thought we were just gonna do it for one night i said if we're gonna all do it for one night it's got to be all of us you know so uh and you know look everyone wanted to do it and and you know that period into the now that whole period there was was a great period for Tesla. You know, there've been ups and downs for us. And, you know, after that, it was a down period. And then we got Dave Root and it's been an up period, you know, pretty consistent since then. And now we're in a down period because of this fucking COVID bullshit. So, you know, it, it, you know, life's full ups and downs. And I think that's kind of an underlying thing in my book as well, is that, 
you know, you get what you you get. You have to make the most out of it. So that's kind of what I, I'm saying. You know, and if, if if it's anger or frustration some people take out of it, yeah, sure, I'm human. I get angry and frustrated all the time. And I also am happy, too. You know, it kind of goes all over the place. It, it does. Uh, let me just ask you this: since you, men- since you mentioned Tommy, in a sense, there was uh, you know a redemption for for the band and for Jeff. You know, they, everybody had their their drug issues, and you got through it. Is there a point where there can be redemption for Tommy, and you and you can, you know, be friends and and maybe even play a show or or do like Iron Maiden have three guitars? I mean, is is there a redemption for for Tommy and the band, or has that sail that 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 boat sailed, and you just like you know what? We tried. Uh, look, I mean, I think as far as I'm concerned, from my point of view, was that boat sailed. I'm not interested. You know, um, you know, asking other guys in the band would they be interested? Who knows what they'd say? That's up to them. But in order for that to happen, everyone has to be interested. And I, I'm just not. There's too much water under the bridge between me and him. And you know, he's took too many pot shots and uh, you know, I don't wish him any ill will. I mean, as a matter of fact, the other day I heard one of his songs and I thought it was quite good, but I, I, I don't, I wouldn't want to play in a band with him again. No, not me personally. No. And, and you know what? Uh, sometimes it is, uh, you know, it's, it's best to have the memories, you know, when you break up with a girlfriend, sometimes yeah, it's, it's mean, good to have the memories. Good. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, we did it twice or three or four times. I don't know how many times we did it. We did it enough. Why, you know, at a certain point you quit sticking your hand in the fire, you know, but you know, I wish him all the best and I know he's capable of doing really good work. So he, absolutely. Know, and and he gave me one of my greatest Tesla memories ever. I saw you in, I think it was called the New Bacchanal in San Diego or something like that. And you were a four-piece because Tommy didn't show up. And to me, right. that, to me, that was the greatest show ever because the band, you were like troopers. You just went, fuck it. We're just going to play and it's going to be great. And it was it was a memorable night. To me, it was a memorable night. I was just like, man, I got to see Tesla's a yeah, four-piece. No, no, no. I mean, we had to. We had to yeah. rise above it. But I mean, honestly, I, I don't, you know, look, I, I want to go on record. I hold no ill will towards the, towards the man at all. You know what I mean? There were times me and him were super close. There were times we weren't. But I just, you know, I have no desire to, to put it back together. And I think it would be very disrespectful to Dave Rude, who's been there for the last 12 years. He's been there longer than Skio has. Yeah, and he's been great. I don't realize it. Dave, Dave Rude's been in the band longer than Skio was. And he's been absolutely phenomenal. I love Dave. And uh, I, I yeah. see that we're almost at 4.30, and I know you have another interview. So as as we say in Montreal, Brian, an absolute pre- uh, pleasure. Son of a milkman uh, out in uh, December or later this month. Uh, on the 15th, I believe it is now. Um, yeah. Merci, monsieur. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always a pleasure talking to you, man. I always know you know you're gonna do a do the research. Good job, and you always <laughs> ask good questions, and I always look forward to to speaking with you. Thank you, Brian. And hopefully, the next time we speak, it's on the road. It's time that we get back on the fucking road and see some shows. And... Yeah, let's get back out there and start playing again. Fuck, yeah, I mean nuts. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Take care, man. Cheers now. Bye-bye. Bye bye.